This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. It was back in August 2019 when we launched Squeeze Shortcuts, with our very first topic being Hong Kong and its relationship with China. At the time, China was making moves to increase control over Hong Kong and pro-democracy demonstrations had been ongoing for some months. Now it's 18 months down the line and while many Hong Kongers have rallied against China, its control over the territory has only grown. In this episode, we step through the complicated history between China and Hong Kong and get you up to speed with where things are now. Squiz Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Simone Cesiaris. And I'm Claire Kimball. As a longtime listener and now first time Shortcuts host, I know it's customary, Claire, for us to start by getting our bearings. It sure is. And welcome on board, Simone. Thanks, Claire. So a quick geography lesson to get us started. Hong Kong is bordered to the east, west and south by the South China Sea, and it sits on the main trade route to the Far East, making it an excellent port for trade. And that's what made it so attractive to the British in the 17th century. Through the 17th and 18th centuries, there was a growing demand across Europe and in Britain for Chinese luxury goods. We're talking about things like tea and porcelain and silk, so the finer things in life. But Britain was concerned about a trade imbalance that was growing in that they were taking a lot more from China than they were selling to them. So they decided to grow a whole heap of opium in India and they it across to China. Yeah, and that was illegal. And eventually in 1839, China put its foot down and it seized over 100 tonnes of opium from British merchants. That turned into what is known today as the Opium Wars. Those battles went on for some time, but what's important in this context is that the Chinese eventually did a deal with the British that would see Britain hold a 99-year lease over Hong Kong. And with British rule comes its way of doing things, including democratic values, as well as Hong Kong's development as an important important trade and economic hub. And then things became a bit turbulent. Yeah, it sure did. And we're really skipping through this. First uh, to note was that there was an outbreak of war between China and Japan. And in the late 1930s, when Hong Kong became a refuge for thousands of mainland Chinese, that was disruptive to the British rule. Then came the Japanese occupation of Hong Kong in World War II, before it went back to British hands at the end of the war in 1945. And after that, light industries such as textiles helped revive the territory's economy and Hong Kong went on to become a key financial hub. But long story short, people living there became quite used to those democratic and economic freedoms brought to them by the British. They sure did. And as the end of the lease period came closer and closer in 1997, an agreement was struck between British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and China that would see Hong Kong handed back. But it came with some conditions. And in a detailed agreement about how Hong Kong would be administered for the next 50 years, Hong Kong was to have its own legal system. It would have multiple political parties and the people also would maintain rights, including freedom of assembly and the right to protest and free speech. That was how the territory was to proceed until at least 2047, as you say, 50 years on from the handover from the Brits to China. 
That agreement established what's called the One Country, Two Systems Rule of Law. And since 1997, there have been rounds of protests with Hong Kongers fighting to maintain their autonomy from China. Particularly notable was the umbrella movement in 2014 that was in response to what Hong Kongers saw as a reneging by China on an agreement for free elections. And then the protests that kicked off in 2019 were even bigger. The point there is that there's been friction between Hong Hong Kong and China since that hand back in 1997. Yeah, and that friction can also be seen when we look at how people in Hong Kong identify themselves. While most are ethnic Chinese, and although Hong Kong is part of China, the majority of people there don't identify as Chinese. That's right. And a survey by the University of Hong Kong in December 2018 showed that most people identify themselves as Hong Kongers. Only 11% would call themselves Chinese, and 71% of Hong Kong. Kongers said that they don't feel proud about being Chinese citizens and that difference is really pronounced among the younger generations. That has a lot to do with more recent protests. Let's get into that now. In short, protests that started in 2019 came after a proposal was put forward by the Hong Kong administration that would allow criminals to be extradited to mainland China and tried under a very different Chinese judicial system. And what we know about China's judicial system is that it's much less transparent. People quite often go missing for years in their legal system. There's also accusations of torture. So that's something that Hong Kongers are not looking to align themselves to. They don't want their citizens being at the whim of China uh, to be prosecuted on what Beijing sees as serious criminal charges. They say that it could include things like protesting against the government, protesting for religious freedom and the like. Yeah, that proposal was put on ice and eventually withdrawn, but it didn't stop nearly 2 million Hong Kongers taking to the streets to protest. And while those 2019 protests began on the back of that extradition proposal, it morphed into a call for democratic reform and Then last year, China said enough was enough, that law and order and stability needed to be returned to the territory, and Beijing mandated a new security law for Hong Kong that essentially ended its distinct legal system. That law is aimed at stamping out those protests and it bans any acts or activities that endanger China's national security, including what they say are the crimes of subversion of China's authority, calling for Hong Kong to succeed from China and collusion with foreign powers. So basically the national security law makes it easier for China to punish protesters and it also reduces the city's autonomy and it was little wonder then that there was wide condemnation not only by locals but also by those outside the territory where international leaders have for some time worried about China's growing dominance in the global sphere. China had a different view. It said it would only target a narrow set of acts, those were the direct words, and it also said the majority of Hong Kong residents would not be affected. But what we have seen is that law being used to punish pro-democracy protesters. That's right. And just recently, 47 prominent activists and pro-democracy members of the Territory's Legislative Assembly were charged with subversion. They now face life in prison if convicted. So it's a serious state of affairs for anyone who wants to see autonomy and democracy in Hong Kong. Yeah, that's for sure, Claire. And China's grab for more control over Hong Kong hasn't stopped there. Let's get into that now. 
Late in February, thousands of officials met for China's annual National People's Congress in Beijing. It's one of the most significant events of China's political year, and it's when China's Communist Party gives some light into upcoming plans. And this year, of course, Hong Kong was again front and centre. There were a few hints prior to that meeting that Beijing wanted to overhaul Hong Kong's electoral system. For example, China's director of the Hong Kong Affairs Office said that only patriots should be allowed to govern in Hong Kong. So there was little surprise that almost 3,000 delegates who met for that National People's Congress voted to clamp down on who could run for elections in Hong Kong. Hong Kong has its own mini constitution and has had a democratically elected council. So what this latest move by China means is that it will reduce that democratic representation and allow a pro-Beijing panel to vet and elect candidates. That new arrangement has a few bureaucratic steps to go through before it happens, including the drafting of the legislation, but it's expected to be enforced in Hong Kong by the middle of this year. That means it'll be probably in place for the election that's scheduled to take place on the 5th of September. That's an election that was scheduled originally for September last year, but it was delayed by the coronavirus. The plan was immediately endorsed by pro-Beijing politicians, including Hong Kong's chief executive Carrie Lam, who said she and the territory's government firmly support the move. But it has also drawn international condemnation, including from the UK. Britain is now assessing whether that electoral change would constitute another breach of that joint declaration that we spoke about that it signed with China back for the 1997 handover. Our government has also expressed its concern with Foreign Minister Maurice Payne saying the change will further weaken Hong Kong's democratic institutions. She said that it's essential that Hong Kongers have freedom of political expression and what our government has done in response to China's move since 2019 is to provide Hong Kongers living in Australia on temporary skilled and graduate visas to have their stay extended by five years. Uh, More than 2,500 have done that. There's also the possibility of a pathway to permanent residency. Yeah, Beijing hasn't been too happy about that. It has previously warned Australia, the UK and others not to meddle in its domestic issues. And that's your shortcut to China's tightening control over Hong Kong. Now on to our recommendations. One of the things we've done since the beginning of Squiz Shortcuts is give a recommendation on some further reading, listening and watching. This time around, I found a report from Bloomberg called Hong Kong on Edge. It came out in 2019 and looks into the causes of the unrest and possible solutions to the crisis. That sounds like a good one. Mine's a podcast from the BBC. It's called The Documentary. The episode particularly on that is called The Exiles, Hong Kong at a Crossroads. Uh, It's about Hong Kong. It's the pro-democracy protesters uh, who have the option to go to the UK and they face that very difficult decision about whether to stay and fight for autonomy from China or whether to flee and go over to the UK. I'll pop a link to those recommendations in your episode notes. But before we go, also in your episode notes will be a link to a super, super quick survey about Squish Shortcuts. It's five short questions. We'll only take about 30 seconds of your time, but we'd be really grateful if you could fill it out. That's all from us this week. We'll catch you again next time. 